I've spent the last three years learning from some of the most ingenious fund managers around. And now I've decided to take the plunge and start my own fund. The real question is, how will I do it? With no investors and without an Ivy League degree, this podcast is going to give you the answer. Join me and follow along as I share mine and other stories as we start and build multi-million dollar investment funds. I'm Bridger Pennington, and this is Investment Fund Secrets. All right, people, welcome back to the show. Today we got with us Justin Hammond on the podcast. It's going to be very fun. Good to see you, Justin. Great to be here. It's going to be fun. So, Justin, we've become friends over the last couple of years. You're in Utah. I'm actually investing in one of Justin's deals right now. You've done over 100 foreclosures, done over 100 different food and beverage investments, probably done about, you said about 100 million in private money, hard money loans as well. Um, pretty cool. So you've done, you've been the fund world, the syndication world, the private equity world, the real estate world. So we want to bring you on. You're pretty, you know, young, fun guy. We want to talk to you today. See, see what people can lean from, lean from you, how to get into this space. Talk about all sorts of stuff. Talk about your habits, aliens, just whatever, <laughs> just dude. So it, welcome on the show. Thank Good you. Good to have you here. Thanks for having me. Um, if you're going to give people a two minute overview of you, I know I gave you a couple bullet points, but what would you say for people like two minutes about you, your story a little bit, just like to really quick though, what would you kind of say? Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, for, for me, when I took the leap into entrepreneurship, like we were getting into, I was, I was doing software sales and I had always loved the, the investment world. Mm. Like probably like you, I'd flip through the Forbes list and I would just see these guys that were real estate dudes or hedge fund managers or private equity guys and for some reason i gravitated towards those people i wasn't really yeah. interested in the in like the mark zuckerbergs or yeah. steve Ballmer. It's like respect to those guys but the people that would get me pumped were like the carl icons and the mm -hmm. warren buffett's yeah. and the steve cohen's of the world yeah. Tim griffin's um and so that that really nudged me to just like eight years ago just take the leap from the corporate world, go out on my own and just make it Follow happen. Follow that. Yeah. I'm the exact same way. Like if for every reason, I'm just like, I'm not as smart as Zuckerberg or I don't know. I'm just like, I'm just not that guy. I'm just not yeah. going to go start a multi-billion dollar tech company. But it just, for, yeah, it just seems more attainable or more like real of like, oh, I could buy real estate or I could invest this way. I don't know. Yeah. Those guys just seem more realistic, a path to the same result through that. So Well, for me, they were just playing the, the game that I wanted play mm, yeah right yeah. like if lebron james as a kid probably liked basketball players mm -hmm. that's how i feel like yeah, i yeah. feel like that's that's the game that i want to play yeah you want to get into it yeah. so walk us through that real quick so you're doing software sales yeah you then make a leap what, what was that leap like yeah it came came to a crossroads with the company i was with and it became clear that it, it we weren't going to be moving forward and at the time newly married um this was in 2015 and went to my wife and I just said, I think I'm just going to leave. I think I'm just going to go start a real estate investment company. Mm, yeah. She said, you, you don't have any money. <laughs> I said, I know, but I'm almost positive that none of these guys started with money. So I, I left and day one, I had zero income. We had a two bedroom apartment we paid $500 a month for. Um, newlyweds, my wife luckily was making like 
a thousand bucks a month as a student teacher, which <laughs> helps a lot more than it sounds like. <laughs> and for 10, 11 hours a day, I just decided I've got to go find an, uh, an opportunity to buy a property. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I would get on my bike, I'd ride around South Provo, I'd look for tall grass and dented garage doors and, <laughs> and, I just, ultra distressed, ultra yeah. distressed property. They yeah, go yeah. knock on these doors. I talk to neighbors. Hey, yeah. do you know where these guys are? They're not yeah. home. Try to drum up phone numbers. It took me six months of doing that, which to think about that's zero, a long time, zero income. That's a long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> zero income, credit card racking up. <laughs> I've got at this point eight thousand dollars in credit card debt. Mm, yeah. Um, my wife's now pregnant at this point and I finally get this lady who responded to some posts I made on KSL and she calls me to come over to her house. Um, I call a realtor buddy and I say, Hey, I'm heading to this house. Will you tell me how much it would be worth if I fix it up? Mm. He said, Oh, probably about 450,000 bucks. Mm -hmm. I said, great. I walk in there. I've got, I've got my clipboard like I know anything. I'm like mm -hmm. looking around at stuff, acting like I know what I'm doing, acting like I know like HVAC systems and <laughs> roofs and everything. I'm yeah. like making these notes on a notepad. Yeah. But I figured as long as I could get the property for un under contract for about 300,000 or, or less that mm -hmm. I'd have a decent opportunity. Yeah. After sitting down and talking with her about her issues, we put it under under contract for 260,000 bucks. Cool. And I shook her hand and I said, I'll close this for you in 10 days. Yeah. And I left and I'm like, now I got to find 260,000 <laughs> bucks. Yeah. So I do the thing where I start calling all the family friends that you think have money or oh, you think yeah. are interested in doing deals. And what were you saying? There's, I got a great deal under contract. I got 10 days. Yeah. What are you saying? Yeah. yeah. I'm saying, Hey, will you please, I need either a loan or a partner. I, I think if we put 40,000 bucks into this house, we could sell it for Four hundred thousand dollars, and mm -hmm. we could make this much money, and this would be your rate of return. Mm -hmm. I packaged it up nice for those guys, yep. but no one was interested. Mm. So I got to the point where I was literally making very cold calls to just anyone in the real estate business mm -hmm. asking for yeah. some kind of a loan. Yeah, I finally get put in touch with this guy, who, which I, I love, by the way. It's just like, anyways, I this is awesome. I just know where it's going to, and it's just like you just make cold calls. Like I'm gonna make it work. I'm just going to make it happen. I'm going to yeah. make this thing work. I don't care who I'm going to call. Like, I'll knock on a door. I'll talk to a neighbor. Who cares? I just love it. I think it's cool. Sorry. Yeah. Keep going. This is awesome. No, that's good. So I, I, uh, I call this guy. His name is Tim. It's two o'clock in the afternoon. He answers the phone. He says, Hey, I just got home from the gym. I got to take a shower. Let me call you back after. I remember at that moment thinking this guy was so cool. Mm. I'm like he gets home from the gym at two o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> This guy's got a cool <laughs> life. I just yeah. at the time remember that yeah, being, yeah. Being, being cool. Yeah. We end up meeting at the house. He walks into the house, looks around for five seconds, walks out, and I'm thinking he's just going to go look at the exterior of the house. But I peek outside and he's standing by his car. And I'm like, what is he doing? He was in there for five seconds. I walk yeah. out. I'm like, hey, what, what's, what's going on? He's like, Listen, how much money do you want to just walk away from this deal? Hmm. I was like, what do you mean? Yeah. He said, well, if you remodel this and if everything goes well, you'll probably make what? 
forty thousand bucks that you have to split with your investors? I was like, yeah. I said, okay. So how much do you need to walk away? Mm-hmm. I said, if you can give me twenty grand, I'll walk away. Yeah. The next day he calls me. I've got your twenty grand. Wow. So I signed over the contract to him. I gave half of my twenty grand to uh, the realtor that was helping me. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that was part of our deal. The other ten grand, instead of paying off my credit card debt, I put it down on our duplex that we that my wife and I bought. Oh, nice. So we were kind of back to square one. At that See, point. Now you're buying a duplex. <laughs> we're yeah. buying a duplex. We're living in the top, renting yeah. out the bottom. Oh yeah, yeah. But now we're back to zero. Money. And ten grand was enough to put down. Yeah, it was FHA. We uh, we needed. We bought it for like two fifty. Mm-hmm. We needed three three and a half percent down. So mm-hmm. it was like, it kind of like happened at the perfect time. Yeah. But then we were back to zero dollars and neg- mm-hmm. negative money yeah, you're back bank. to square one yeah <laughs> which is the classic like real estate it's like you're always cash poor cash you know poor, <laughs> you're just always. running anyways sorry keep going so so this so three more months goes by i don't do another deal mm-hmm. at this point my wife calls me or she comes up to talk to me and she says i th- i think you need to get a job mm. and i'm like babe i i can't get a job Said, okay, that's fine, but you tasted twenty grand on a sale already. You tasted it, and you can't get away from that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She says, "I, I mean, it took you six months to make ten thousand dollars. It's now been three more months. We don't have anything." Mm -hmm. And I said, "Listen, I I need you to trust me." And she said, "Well, it's just difficult. It's not about trust. It's about we have a baby coming in two months." Mm, Yeah. And how are we supposed to function? Like I, I'm not going to be making my thousand dollars a month anymore. Mm-hmm. Again, it was helping a lot more than it sounds, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I said, okay. How much money do I need to make in the next thirty days for you to believe that this can be my path moving forward? Yeah. And she said, well, we're we're ten thousand dollars in debt. I think if you can make twenty thousand dollars in the next month that that'll prove to me that you can do this mm. so i wrote out a contract i said in the next 30 days i'll make twenty thousand dollars if i do not i will never talk about real estate i will never talk about entrepreneurship i will never talk about investing ever again wow but yeah. if i do that's awesome you have to believe in me forever mm-hmm. we both signed it i woke up the next morning just how the heck am I gonna make twenty thousand bucks? <laughs> yeah, yeah, thirty days. Yeah, in thirty days. Yeah, that's awesome. I had done one deal in my life, mm-hmm. and so at the time that was just daunting task. But you know, I wrote out my goals, my daily goals, my weekly goals. I did the think and grow rich thing where mm-hmm. I'm like repeating oh, yeah. everything. Oh yeah, you know, love that. Just um, ingraining it into my my brain, and uh, on on like day twenty seven made 35,000 bucks just wow. doing the same thing and, and wholesale the deal. So, yeah. Wholesale yeah. The deal. Wow. And that's and, awesome. And we, we, we just never looked back. Our baby was born like a week and a half later or something. And, yep. um, just never, never looked back, started to start to flip a bunch of properties, mm-hmm. um, raise capital for flips. And, uh, and then things, so cool. things started to get really competitive in, in the house flipping space. And so, as we were chasing down these foreclosures, again, we were knocking on these doors of people that were behind on payments. Mm-hmm. Yep. And as we, as we were chasing these foreclosures, um, I had to get creative with these guys because everyone else was in there 
offering more money than mm -hmm. I can pay. Yeah, yeah. And so that led to me sitting down with these homeowners and saying, listen, do you even want to leave? Would you rather stay? Mm -hmm. Would you yeah. rather, what do you want? And eight out of 10 times, these homeowners would say, we don't want to sell. My kid graduated from high school in nine months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why do you love to stay for nine months? And so I'd work out these deals where we would buy the property, let them stay for six, seven, eight months, or sometimes sign a 20 year lease with them. Mm -hmm. yeah. But we were able to buy these properties at like 50 cents on the dollar just by giving them something else they want. Yeah, interesting. Being creative with them, that's cool. Yeah. Hmm. And so we built up a portfolio of about 100 of those just doing these creative deals, taking On over their mortgages. Yeah. yeah. And they rent it back from you. Mm -hmm. That's what you usually do, or lease or something like that. They can yeah. stay in the property. A lot of times, I'm guessing they want to stay in the property. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So they'd lease it back. Yeah, cool. Sometimes we give an, an option to buy it back from us. Oh, and we've now okay. seen a dozen or two dozen people buy back their property oh, from cool. us, which yeah, is yeah. It's always cool to see. Would you assume, you don't assume their mortgage, or you we, buy, they were signing the contract? How would it work? Yeah, so they would deed the property over, mm, okay. and depending on their financing, if they had favorable financing in place, we would just catch up their mortgage, mm -hmm. and then from then on out, we were logging in and mm. making their mortgage payments. Yeah, oh, cool. And, okay. and uh, that's kind of confusing for a lot of people to, yeah. to understand, but it's it's what we what we were doing. Mm -hmm. Like we would, it's called buying it subject to the mortgage. Yeah, and uh, and so we would, in a lot of cases, these people would be. $30,000 behind, 25,000 behind, and they've got a you know, $1,200 mortgage payment. Yeah. And now they have a good job and now they can make a $1,500 mm. payment, but they don't have the 30,000 to mm -hmm. catch it up. Yep. And so that's when we'd come in and say I'd say I'd, I'll catch up the 30,000 bucks. You deed me the property. You rent it from me. Yeah. You can you've got 2 years to buy it back from me if you don't buy back in two years then we'll sell it and you can keep a portion of the proceeds mm -hmm. or we'll sign some kind of extension i mean every deal is different but those that's how, God, that's how you figure it out the deal. that's yeah. smart that's really smart it's a win-win for that you know Ke yeah. keeps them well not i mean better than the alternative of getting foreclosed on or yeah. whatever right it's a really that's really cool yeah you got 100 deals through that wow that's awesome we, yeah we, i mean we did well over 100 but we we probably at one point we had mm -hmm. 100 units that yeah. we were holding and then we started to liquidate a, a lot of them started to come due where like they would have these three-year option periods so a lot of them like i said started to buy them back mm -hmm. or or their options would expire and so we would we would sell them yeah um so now we're down to about 30 mm -hmm. but we're always even now we still that's kind of a system that functions in and of itself so we still have we're still probably buying one or two of those a month mm, yeah and then we're selling you know one a month or yeah that's cool yeah question for you on uh the uh, so it's i think it's funny i i've had i have a, i probably have four or five friends and i wonder if you have the same thing the year and myself included the year i got married and the year i had my my first kid which was just about a year ago my income jumped like crazy mm. and like business opportunity or new business has started or just like the year i got married i got married three and a half years ago that year like i made a lot of big moves and they've made me a ton of money now. And same with like having a baby and a baby on the way. I made a lot of big moves right around there and it made me a ton of money. And I have friends that like, I just look at them like the year they, they got married is the year they started their business that took off or whatever. They, they failed for like five years and the year they got married, it 
whatever reason it worked out. And I, I wonder if you felt like that of a uh, same thing or seeing see friends, the pressure of having a baby or getting married that like, I don't know if I've, I've just seen, I, I feel like it's almost like for men, it's like this mentality of like, okay, yeah. life's serious now. I got to figure something out. But what, what do you think? I, I think, I think the pressure has a lot to do with it. I also think just the support of a spouse mm, yeah. and, and having that partnership, whether it's a subconscious partnership or not, however involved your spouse may or may not be. Um, I know for me, like I, I wouldn't have been able to, to do a lot of things without, without my wife's support mm -hmm. and then having the baby, it, it's a, it's a pressure, but it's also like a, just like a desire to, I don't know, like maybe a realization that like, this is real life now. Like yeah. I, I'm, I can't screw around I, I, anymore. Yeah, yeah. I, can't, <laughs> I can't screw around. Yeah. Was your wife, uh, was she very supportive until the baby was coming of entrepreneurship or was she, is she kind of like in and out on entrepreneurship until that contract? How was, what she, was she like? She was, I, I made it very clear from the second that we met mm. that this was who I am. Mm, okay. Right. That she wasn't going to be married to like a nine to five yeah. guy Yeah. and that I was either going to succeed or I was just going to die mm -hmm. trying to succeed. Yeah. And so she knew that and, and maybe that's part of the personality that that she liked in me yeah and so it I, I think she knew from day one that there's nothing she could do to to take that away but when we got that close to the baby coming um i, I think she viewed that as justifiable mm. point to be like hey so i know this is like who you are <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time we not we, working yeah. <laughs> it's not working yeah so, so yeah i i mean she's since then i mean she's been super supportive mm -hmm. cool yeah that's awesome no i feel like a lot of men talk about that like oh my wife pulls them away from entrepreneurship or or they were raised in a very w2 household and that's different for them yeah. i remember my wife i uh right before we got married i uh i sat down with her and she knew i was already i was already doing businesses and stuff i was that type of person but i sat down with her and i just said i asked her really straight up what is your risk tolerance level I'm like, I need to know, I want to get married to you either way, but I need to know what is your risk tolerance level? Are you okay with a lot of risk, a little bit of risk, no risk with as far as money and all, like business ideas and stuff. And she took about two or three days. She's like, let me think about it. And she went home and thought about it, really thought about it and was like, what do I, you know, where am I actually at? What am I okay with? Like, am I okay if we're in $10,000 in debt and I'm still trying on a bit, you know what I mean? Yeah. And she finally came back and she said, um, you know, it's pretty high. Like I'm good. Let's do whatever. And, but I think it was, even if she was that before she brings us, she brings us up all the time to me and she's like, it was so good. We set the expectation <laughs> going into our marriage. Of, yeah. Hey, we're going to have a high risk tolerance for business and stuff. And, and I, I, I'm always like, let's keep some money. Let's be safe. Let's pile money. for sure. Let's do that. But just, just so you know, if there's a great opportunity, we've got to lever something and go after it. Are you anyways? Yeah. I think it was good to set the expectation with her and she's referenced it a lot of like, probably 10 or 12 times since we've been married That's at different cool. points, which is kind of interesting. So it, it's definitely healthy to have that, that expectation. Mm. And, and it's not, I mean, dude, our, our minds are not wired to, to do that. Mm -hmm. Like they're, we're wired to, for survival, mm -hmm. like the human brain, yeah. we're, we're not wired to go out and get rich and to, and to create our own path and mm -hmm. to, and to be free. Yeah. We're wired to just for safety, mm -hmm. keep things away that could harm us. And, and so it, it requires, it requires a lot to, to go against the grain of like your, your natural biology mm -hmm. to just be like, no, like I'm going to sacrifice safety. Cause the reality is 
the worst case scenario is never as bad as you think it is, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, like hundred percent. What's the worst case? What like, even if I'm homeless, like, okay, <laughs> I think we'll be all right. Yeah, I mean, well, dude, in America, if you're your worst case scenario, they have so many safeguards and like nets that catch you. In America, you have food stamps. Yeah, you have bankruptcy. You've got like charities and other, like, especially if you're a young kid at going in Provo or going to a school or BYU or wherever it was, yeah. there are so many government programs and assistance. And if you have a child on the way, they'll help you. And all these, there's all these like nets that catch you. For sure. Like to be truly homeless, I think is a little hard I do to too. do. I like do you've got to be on deep substance abuse or drug or like doing very illegal felony type things. Yeah. And then you're okay. I get why you're homeless. But if you're like a regular normal person just trying to make it in this world, and yeah, your business kind of fails. There are so many nets that catch you as you fall. And that's even before the whole family friends oh, layer. Yeah. Right? yeah, that's not even that's not even asking family and friends to can I move in with yeah. mom or dad or whatever for two months. It's yeah. I actually had a guy at a when I was at school. He was a flew in from Harvard and he was he was this big entrepreneur guy and talked. And anyways, he gives a speech and for whatever reason he goes to the back of the room and he's just sitting there. And I'm like, I'm gonna go talk to this guy. So I get up and I kind of sneak my way back there and he's just watching the other presenter because there's like multiple presenters. And I'm like, hey, dude, I love your talk. I want to talk in the back. And I just asked him, I said, hey, I, I, I've, I've started a few businesses. I want to do more, but I'm just, I'm nervous about the risk level and, I'm, and I might fail. And he goes, what do you mean by fail? Like define fail. And I'm like, well, like I'll just fail. Like I just won't do it. And he's like, well, give me your worst case scenario. And he's like, and he asked me, he's like, do you have a parent or two? Like if you really fail, hit rock bottom that you could like move in with. And I was like, well, yeah, like, I, you know what? Like if I really hit rock bottom, I was really struggling. Like, yeah, for sure. I can move in with my mom or dad and, and I could, you know, so he goes, okay, so let me get this clear. Your worst case scenario is you get to move in with a parent or both parents that love you. There's a food full of fridge. You've got AC and a bed or a floor to sleep on. He goes, that's better than like 90% of the world lives every day <laughs> is your worst, worst yeah. fail scenario. And he's like, you have no business talking about failure when you live in the United States with a parent or two that you can go fail at their house, you know? Right. He goes, what, like you're, you're, you have asymmetrical risk here. You have relatively low risk for a very high return for what you're doing. So you better go out and just make it happen. And it changed my whole mindset on risk. I thought it was really cool. That's powerful. Yeah. Yeah, And naturally we don't see that asymmetry. Mm -hmm. Naturally we just see it's, it's the opposite. Yeah. You see the opposite. You don't see all the upside. You think that your upside is limited and you think your downside is unlimited. It's forever. I'm going to fall to the pit of the earth. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So you guys did foreclosures for a while. Uh, Were you raising money for that? Are you just rolling money into deals? Um, and did you, and then I know you did a lot of, you've done hard money, you've done now private equity, food and beverage, kind of connect all those dots for us on your story and how that happened. We started, I, so I started to raise money for the foreclosures because I, I didn't have any. So when we would need the 30 or 40 or 50,000 bucks to catch up these mortgages, I'd go to investors and say, hey, you put up the money, let's split the deal 50-50. Mm, gotcha. And once we started to do a lot more, um, then I just did it with my own capital. But a lot of those investors still wanted a place to put their capital. Mm-hmm. And... I found a lot of hard money opportunities because there was a, a bunch of house flippers or developers that, again, because it was so competitive on the buy side, mm-hmm. I recognized a lot of opportunity on the lending side. Cause it's like, oh, you got all these buyers and developers. So I don't have to win the bid. I'll just go to that guy and say, hey, I'll lend you money at 12% mm-hmm. and you pay me 
three or four points to originate the deal. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll pass that, you know, I'll pass a 10% interest rate onto my investors. And so we built a little, a little business out of that mm -hmm. hard money side. Yeah. Cool. Um, that which I would argue, by the way, if people watch, I know a lot of people ask me like, Bridger, what's the, what's like, what kind of fund should I do if they have no idea what to do? I, I tell them dude, a hard money fund is probably the easiest deals to start out with. And that's a foreclosure. Like you like hit, yeah. like, if you want to get like, just get moving, get the ball rolling. Like it's hard to start a hedge fund. Yeah. It's a lot harder to start a venture capital fund. You got to wait forever to, to get your returns. Like hard money, you get deals done in three months, four months, they're turning your capital. You can get paid out. You can see the reward. You can like keep moving it. It yeah. might be smaller amounts or whatever it is, but it gets you at least the ball rolling Yeah, into this world of finance um, and funds. I think it's pretty cool. And, and it gets your investors feet wet in, yeah. that, in that you're taking very low risk mm -hmm. and investors are getting checks in the mail. Mm, and yeah. that's just, that's a great dynamic to start with that, that hey, you know, your, your principal is secure. You know, we're in, cause when we do hard money loans, we're usually into the deals at 70% of, of property value mm. or less, yep. you know? So if someone's buying a million dollar eight plex, we'll, we'll lend them 700 grand yep. for six months and they'll make us $7,000 payments. They'll pay us 30 grand up front to mm -hmm. originate the deal. And then we'll, we'll pay our investors six grand a month mm -hmm. and you know, we'll keep, we'll keep the, the points, the, the interest spread, or sometimes we'll, we'll split the deal a little differently, but from a fun perspective, that's, that's, that's such a great way for people to, to get into the business because, um, there's always people needing the capital. Yeah. Um, and there's always investors that need to place capital. Mm -hmm. Not all investors want to sign up for a seven year fund. Yeah. Or 10 year. It's like, yeah. With no check, no nothing. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. I mean, you could revolve investors capital for 12 months, 24 months mm -hmm. and still make a good chunk of money and, and give your investors a good return without mm -hmm. them having to tie up their capital yeah. for a decade. And now they love you as a manager. Oh, this guy, you know, Justin, he gives me checks every month. This guy's awesome. They're referring their friends over yeah. and it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you started doing hard money through there. You were raising capital, moving money through. And then yeah, keep us keep us going. Then that just did that lead that I'm guessing it because when you do private money, in my opinion, you start telling everybody, hey, I've got money, I've got deals, I've got you. That's that's your brand, right? You start telling people all, all over the place, hey, I've got money, I've got deals. Just send them my way. Yeah. And what happens is you start getting sent other cool deals. So right. we did we did we weren't doing hard money, but we were doing lending the same thing. I, t I would tell everybody, I've got deals and I've got money. Who wants to talk to me? And I get emails every day, and I started getting the craziest deals you've ever heard of. You know on solar, on food and beverage, on other stuff. I'm, is, I'm, I'm guessing that's kind of how you got introduced to other stuff. Exactly. Is that right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we were, I mean, in addition to the hard money, we were doing other bigger real estate projects. Like we're mm -hmm. buying some apartments and doing some land development, things like that. But our investors were having great experiences and then, yeah, people would, people would approach me with business ideas or like food and beverage concepts. Mm -hmm. And I would just look at the, the risk reward. I'm like, you know, this, this is actually the, the returns are quite a bit better than in, in real estate or in hard mm -hmm. money. The risk is higher. Yeah. But, you know, I call some investors and say, hey, this is a little riskier. What do you think? And I was shocked to hear that that capital was a lot easier to raise than even oh, really? the other capital. Why? Why do you think? I think because I think because hard money 
for for investors um, that don't know what it is is just not sexy at all. Mm. They're just like, okay, like I get a ten percent yield, maybe eleven or twelve. Yeah. Um, but I don't know what it is. But if someone's if someone's investing in like a crumble franchise mm -hmm. or like a you know like any kind of like a food and beverage franchise mm -hmm. at like a specific location then they can go to it it's tangible. tangible they can see it they can bring their family and say i'm an owner and yeah. you know like let's let's buy some food here because it's like all going to me and yeah, <laughs> yeah. and so they, you know they get excited about that yeah. plus i mean in addition to that there's also the returns were better mm -hmm. and so as long as they were okay with the, the additional risk yeah then that, that extra return just you guys were doing food I think the the conception is food and beverage is low margins very break-even which I don't think is the case at least on the on your deals you've done right I've heard of some of your deals they're usually a lot higher margins right like crumble yeah. you brought up I think crumble has really high margins don't they on a cookie yeah like I mean, they're crazy it's, like it's crazy compared to like a normal Mexican restaurant or something right right yeah. right so yeah and and, and and so we've done other brands too, and uh, and so we have we have a we have a, a footprint in the in the food and beverage space, but we've also started to get into other businesses. Um, I mentioned to you the slaughterhouse that we're doing up in oh, yeah. up in Idaho Falls. Yeah. So that was that was a that's been a big one for us. And are you syndicating all these deals? Like you're gonna say, hey, we found a great slaughterhouse in Idaho. You're calling up investors syndicating capital together for that deal is that how you most time it's going yeah, yeah yeah so with a bigger one um like with a with a food and beverage location we'll maybe get one investor partner to mm -hmm. put up capital but with the slaughterhouse it's an 80 million dollar plant and mm -hmm. um with 40 million in debt and 40 million in equity mm -hmm. of that 40 million in equity we put up 5 million mm -hmm. and um syndicated all of it through like just uh, an entity Actually, a couple yeah. different entities, but yeah. twenty-five different investors contributing capital for and then, five million. Yeah, the other thirty-five million. What, what they needed five million for what? Well, they needed forty million in equity. Okay, and you guys brought in five. Yeah, where the other thirty-five come from then? Other other investors. In oh, fact, other people came in. Oh, okay. Yeah, in fact, of the forty million we've raised total, well, I, I didn't raise the forty. I just mm -hmm. the five. Yeah, yeah. But of the forty million that's been put in, thirty-two million just came from cattle ranchers that are customers oh no way so so there's there's wow. the vertical integration of having the, the customers there yeah, yeah um but but yeah that was basically like i drove up to idaho falls met with the ceo negotiated a a good deal in relation to what most investors were getting mm -hmm. um got a seat on the board and then went to investors and created a deal where they would actually get a better deal coming through our syndication than yeah. they would if they called the CEO directly and asked mm -hmm. to invest. Yeah, cool. Because we were able to say, look, we're going to bring this much capital, yep. a big slug. Yep. Um, if, if we can get these terms, then we're ready to rock and roll. Mm -hmm. And then so we pass along those terms to investors who take a 20% carry or mm -hmm. whatever it is. The carries vary depending on when they came in because we've tiered it. But yeah. Um, but uh, so we, we earn a portion of that, yeah, and then we get paid to be on the board as well. And then uh, that it's a cash flow play, so once once we once we're up and running, it's uh, it's just gonna be like quarterly dividends. Yeah, to our it just investors. pulls out, that's cool, yeah, that's awesome, that's a cool deal, yeah. Um, can't want to switch topics, great. Um, let's talk about where we're at right now, 
with the, I mean, it's, it's, so you started 2015, you said I've started doing my stuff in 2016, 17, you know, that time frame, and it's been an up market, right? Yeah. We've had a pretty good market. COVID was interesting right, right now. And right now it looks like we're facing for us the first true, maybe, maybe bear market recession, depression. People are saying, I don't know. Right. Um, you talk to these seasoned investors that lived through the dot-com bubble and the 2008 bubble and yeah. crash and all that stuff. And they talk about the scars from that and stuff. So I'm, I'm curious where you are at thinking through, um, right now that we're filming this in September of 22. So where are you at right now with what are, what are things that you're watching with deal flow and what deals are you looking at? What deals are you not looking at because of macroeconomics and just the way the world's turning? Does it affect you? Are you, are you kind of like, ah, I, you know what? I'm going to find a good deal regardless. Like, where do you fall on that? I'm curious your just macro view and lens, what you think. Yeah, I definitely think we're, things are going to get worse before they get better. Um, and from, from the real estate perspective with our real estate business, it doesn't affect much other than we might have more deal flow. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because we're never, we're never buying a dollar for a dollar and then hoping that it goes to a dollar 20. Mm-hmm. We're always buying a dollar for 70 cents mm-hmm. and then selling it back to that guy for 85 cents. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so that, that business model won't change. The hard money, same thing. Um, you know, we're going in to a dollar at 70 cents. Yep. Um, I don't think the deals that I do will be very affected just because that's, that's kind of just the way that we do, uh, that we underwrite our deals is, are we buying, are we getting something that everyone else is paying a dollar for? For, mm. for 75 cents right now mm-hmm. um, now that doesn't that doesn't mean that there won't be impacts I'm not saying that we're impervious to, to all the economic turmoil yeah um, but just in the individual underwriting that we do it's a it's a little less important from the real estate side mm-hmm. but I think it's gonna get worse before mm-hmm. it gets better what about you yes yeah, well it's with on um, it's a great way to look at it like my my uh, my dad actually did hard money for a long time he always say he's like we would do 60 to 70 percent 70 cents on the dollar because we kind of calculate yeah the, the the price of this the housing market can fall 10 or 20 or even 30 percent that would be huge i mean we'd still essentially break even yeah right because we're buying it at a 30 you know 30 percent discount or we're lending 30 you know there's that buffer in built and we only lend on 70 percent um it's built into the the deal right if it drops below that okay yeah we're in the negative but so is the rest of the world you know they're at like 50 percent negative sure. right and actually, they performed very well in 2007, 2008. You know, they did awesome. And so, I don't know. I, I to back to the yeah. I think it's very interesting right now. Um, it's funny. I, I was talking with I was on st- I was speaking with Kevin O'Leary on stage a couple months ago. This is in end of June, and he was just like everyone asking about a recession and what's going to happen. And he's like, it's kind of interesting. He he goes, he's like, just the fact that everyone is calling a recession and this collapse makes me think it's not going to collapse. Hmm. Just contrarian. Yeah. He's like, I think they did a survey. It's like 75, 75% of Americans believe that we are in a recession or heading to a recession very soon. He's like, when have 75% of Americans ever agreed on something <laughs> and been right been on right. something? Like that never happens, so you know, true. especially in financial markets. And, and maybe it's different this time just because of YouTube and online financial education, I think has risen a lot around the world. So maybe people are more, you know, following closer the Fed and what's happening. Um, and so it, I go back and forth, dude. It's so funny. I, I have this whole thesis in my head of why it's going to crash, where they're going to probably raise rates another 75 basis points next month. 
mean, you're raising rates drastically right now. Yeah. Mortgage defaults are, are through the roof. Car defaults are through the roof. I mean, it's just it's just like economics is just happening in front of our eyes. It's just delayed a little bit. You have the China debt crisis. I've done a bunch of videos on that. Like, I think that's, that's interesting. So obviously there's huge trending downward things. Right. But also, there's also very like some positive things too. Like you have job health, like healthy jobs and job growth. I know people have cut back on evaluations, but things are still growing. We still have a high inflationary time. Inflation's still high, which means asset prices still are going up, right? Um, you know what a lot of other companies are doing now too is this thing called uh, labor hoarding. Have you heard about this? Nah. It's it, like a lot of these companies, like in the past during economic downturns, it's a lot of layoffs. Mm -hmm, you fire people, yeah. Now a lot of companies are saying, you know what? It's going to be cheaper for us to keep this dude on payroll mm. for the next three years than it is for us to fire a bunch of people, deal with the litigation that might arise out of uh, that, and then, and then rehire. rehire once oh, things improve. Interesting. So we might as well keep this guy in the dugout. If huh. we need him, great. If we don't, whatever. Huh. Interesting. It's, so it's, yeah, it's oh, kind of an interesting. interesting way to look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, companies that have great balance sheets, which, you know, we have these mega companies now that might, yeah, that's actually really cool. That's yeah. interesting. So then, and then you have like midterm elections right now. That looks, you know, they, I could see the Fed, they, you know, they're trying to juice the markets for a good midterms. Like, you know, so anyways, you do this whole analysis in your brain of like me and me and Dan Young, my business partner, we go through this all the time with crypto because we're in a crypto fund right now. Like, why is it going to go up? Why is it going to We like do this whole whiteboard and then we just come back to like, there's a lot of things to go down. There's a lot of things to go up too. And you come back to the middle in your thesis and you're like, okay, let's find good deals. Let's right. just buy good stuff. And let's, let's try to find asymmetrical risk and return and. So I don't, I don't know. I used to be like full bear. I was a full like, oh, it's crashing. It's gone. But we've fallen a lot so far. Are we going to keep falling? Is there going to be another black swan event, you know, to like really put us down? Maybe, you know, there's a lot of things that say there might be, but at the same time, everyone's calling it and everyone's so certain everyone's shorting the market. Everyone knows it's going to fall. Is it, is it actually going to fall? And you have all these dollars. The U S dollar is the strongest it's been in 25 years. Like the U S dollar is killing it. We've printed like $20 trillion in the last three years. Our M2 money supply is like through the roof, right? What and everyone's percentage like, of, is that of all the dollars? That it's like whatever it is, like 40%, <laughs> right? Or whatever. And we have the strongest dollar we've had in 20 years. Like it's beating the Euro, it's beating everything. And uh, I mean, the US reserve currency is just, people are like Ray Dalio's book, World Changing Order, you know, the, it's, we're gonna, the US is done. I'm like, I, not Maybe. right now, not right now it's not. Like it's the US dollar is killing it. The Fed is actually doing Everyone complains about the Fed. The Fed's doing their job very well. The fact that we have a very strong dollar means that they're killing it. Now, they might t say one thing and do another thing, but overall, I mean, I, the strength of the U.S. has risen greatly, and the world is crumbling right now as far as economies and, and reserve currency goes. Anyways, yeah. kind of interesting. So, But we have, we have such infrastructure here that like, there's just such a, an intrinsic value to America mm. that, that it's difficult to see. Um, you know, every single day. I, as far as, it, it's interesting because I, uh, so in my car, a lot of times I listen to the annual meetings of, Warren, of Berkshire Hathaway, mm -hmm. like oh, yeah. dating back to like 1991. Oh, like way long ago. Yeah, oh, so cool. like, I'll, like yeah, 91, yeah. like I'm, I'm, I've done like five or six now and I'm, I'm, cool. like, I'm listening to like 1997 or whatever. Huh. Um, but you listen to the, the Q and A's and, um, you know, there's there's a pretty heavy market crash in like 1987, mm -hmm. and um, in you know 2000, we I listened to some of the the early 2000s as well, and that was when the dot com crash mm -hmm. happened. And it's interesting to hear all these questions from the audience. Are you know what? Are you worried? 
about the the market and the market crashing and what are you doing to prepare for this and like it seems very much like the end of the world every mm. single time mm, interesting the and, questions hey and to yeah. listen to charlie munger and warren buffett they're like don't know yeah. but we're just going to continue to find value yeah and we're going to buy great businesses at good prices mm-hmm. and we think that over time that is going to be the best strategy yeah and so i try to apply that you know in in my investment business where we look for great great properties at good yeah. prices or we look for great businesses at good prices and great management teams yeah. and hope that hope that we're right mm-hmm. and hope that we weather the storm because there hasn't been a storm we haven't weathered yet mm-hmm. you know it's kind of like yeah. have you you're the andrew tate guy on uh Instagram. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He comes out and he says, "I, I don't think that I can die. I don't think I can die because I've never died." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> funny, <laughs> stupid yeah. thing to say, but, yeah. but you know, in a way, like America, feels like that, that might moment. be America. Yeah, it feels a little bit like that. It's interesting. Um, no, it's actually that's a good point. I and it's funny. Um, you know, people think the world's ending, and maybe it is, but. People have thought that forever. Every generation thinks Every they're the time. last. That's the that's the old quote, right? Every generation thinks they're the last. And yeah. So buy things on good good prices. That's I, that's I I've done all this analysis, all this podcast. We do a lot of talking on this topic, and it's like comes back to yes, there's certain things you can follow for sure, you know, and you can f- see trends and happen. But again, it always comes back to just buy value, right? If you can invest in value, and invest in good companies that you think are going to grow and are well managed and have good balance sheets, and you keep, I think, good, keep a healthy balance sheet for yourself. You don't want to be over levered. Right. One of my biggest things, um, I have all these friends, I'm sure you're the same way, that all like lost everything in 2008. You I, I hear this yeah. story like every day. I lost everything in 2008 and then I rebuilt and now I'm a millionaire again. Mm-hmm. Like I hear that all the time and I'm like, what a stupid way to live life. Like at least I, that's how I think about it. I'm like, I want to get rich once is like my goal. Yeah. I want to get rich once. I don't want to have to get rich three or four or five, six times because these dudes you follow them or, or gals, they get rich and then they lose it all rich, lose it all. Like, I just want to get rich once and I'm going to stay rich and keep compounding, you right. know? And so learn I keep someone I, else's mistake. I keep a pretty, I keep, I always keep a lot of liquidity, probably more than I should. And I try to keep pretty safe on when I make money, I want to keep it. And then also when you see good deals that you can, you yeah. can transact Snipe. with, right? Which you're very good at, right? When you see a good deal, you guys pull the trigger move fast. fast. Yes. Which is pretty cool. Um, as far as content goes, curious, what's your favorite, um, books, podcasts, things you listen to, what's in your ear, what's, what are you reading, what are you consuming that's been the most valuable you can leave people with, you know, to, to watch or read? I, I wouldn't underestimate the power of those annual meetings with Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah. Like, just, just, it's, you just listen to all this wisdom from Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett mm-hmm. for like five hours every single time, mm-hmm. and uh, that's invaluable. Um, biographies, to me, are huge. Hmm, really? Which, what's, what's your favorite? Which ones? I'm, it's tough to for my favorite because let's see Sam Zell's biography, which is called um, "Am I Being Too Subtle?" Hmm. Who's he, Sam Zell? Sam Zell's a, a real estate developer that um, got into private equity and stuff later in life. Hmm. He's he's on the Forbes list. He's like a five or six billion dollar guy. Um, his his story is really cool. Hmm. Like it, he's like a immigrated at a young age and then just made it happen his mm, story is very cool, cool like yeah. very inspiring especially for those interested in real estate mm-hmm. his, his is awesome yeah i love carl icon's biography king icon mm, i haven't read that one i've heard it, of it yeah. it's good there, there's there's pieces of his personality that i really admire mm. um 
there's there's one called the first billion is the hardest by t boone pickens hmm. who is a corporate raider in the oil game hmm, um, interesting. the big rich is a is a nice book about it goes through the lives of various um like oil wildcatters hmm, i've always been interested in oil wildcatters uh -huh. i, I yeah. feel like if i grew up in oklahoma in like the 70s i would have just <laughs> been, been you right yeah. up my alley <laughs> that's awesome have you read the um that's cool. jack schwager market wizards books Ah, dude uh, for for a lot of your listeners especially like the the hedge fund guys the yeah, stock yeah. market guys jack schwager has a book series called market wizards mm. and all he does is he interviews traders um or hedge fund managers and he just asks them about their strategies their their routines his first book was like in was in like the 90s like when paul tudor jones was mm -hmm. like a you know, in his thirties. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, cool. And so he's got an interview with, with, with Paul Tudor Jones when he was young. Um, and then he has a book. So he's got the, the market wizards, the stock market wizards, hedge fund market wizards, new market wizards. And then his, his newest one is called unknown market wizards. Hmm. And he interviews these, these traders that like the hedge fund guys, he's got like Ray Dalio's in there. Mm -hmm. Um, He's got like some some high level hedge fund managers yeah, in that cool. book, but unknown market wizards. Some of your listeners would appreciate this. Is basically just the dudes that sit at home, and trade, and they have their own strategy that mm -hmm. are you know cooking like 150 million dollars now. Cool. Yeah. And, and they they have like these very specific strategies. It goes into it. What what I gathered from those books mm, was was that a it's possible to yeah. to really really master the game, but b it's only possible if you can really carve out an edge mm. and really dedicate your life to carving out that edge. Interesting. Yeah. In the markets, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And so, so I think those, those are big podcast wise. I mm, love, cool. uh, those are great. I've never read any of those books. I, I like get my list out in a second. Dude, I've got a whole book list on my love phone. I would, that, oh, I sound like I would love those. Yeah. And they have audio too. And the audio books are good. Yep. Um, I've, yeah, I've probably read, I've probably read each one of those market wizards books eight times hmm. are you a trader you like to trade I, or? so early on i i was i did a lot of that oh, and, really? then, yeah. and then in 2020 when COVID hit i didn't do any real estate in 2020 all i did was hmm. trade stocks and oh, oil no futures way. okay no way cool. i was just like this is where i this is where the opportunity is yeah, yeah. like there's so much volatility Were you trading oil during the whole trading negative oil during, during the, the, negative the negative thing negative what'd you do we just just did you freak out or you like my brain is broken because like, it's negative $50 yeah, we just, a barrel? We just bought a bunch of the, the, e, the ETFs yeah. and traded around with some futures. Um, and we, we did pretty well in mm -hmm. 2020 just from the trading perspective. Yeah, cool. Um, but so that's that's always been a fun game for me. Like when I when I went to start my uh, real estate business, I had been trading some capital for like friends and family mm -hmm. just in the stock market. And I've been doing pretty well. And so I, I was debating on whether or not to like start a hedge fund or start a real estate company. Mm, okay. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I'm like, if I had five or 10 million bucks, how would I feel right now? Would mm -hmm. I feel like confident? Mm. Not, not really. Like I, yeah. like, I don't, not as confident as I would if I went hustled, found estate. a deal yeah. and knew like this deal is a winner. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the route. That's the route we went. Yeah. Cool. And, so I still I still have a love for the the markets, hmm. but that's cool. I'm, I, yeah, I want to check those out. And then you said podcasts, or do you like do you listen to other podcasts? 
Have you have you listened to Patrick O'Shaughnessy's "Invest with the Best"? Uh-uh. So that's a really really good one. He uh, Patrick O'Shaughnessy interviews some of the top hedge fund managers, top VC fund managers, mm-hmm. uh, private equity guys. Um, Patrick O'Shaughnessy is also himself a, a pretty good hedge fund manager. Mm-hmm. So his his podcast is really good. Um, I used to listen to bigger podcasts yeah. a lot, like when I was first starting the real estate business. Yeah. I mean, that's how I that's basically most, most learned. Most people do, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, education, books, I think biographies. Yeah, that's cool. It, you know that whole saying where like you're the five people you spend the most time mm-hmm. with, the average. Oh yeah. That's that's true, but you don't have to physically be spending time with them. Mm. Like if you're if you're just consuming diving, their consuming life. their life. Interesting. Huh? And you can see that, okay, like Larry H. Miller started here, ended here. Mm-hmm. He was no smarter than me or you. Yeah. But when he faced adversity, he didn't quit. That's so important because you you realize that like when you're starting to face adversity. That just means you you're facing the same things that all these other guys or gals mm-hmm. did, yeah. Um, and and so a you know it's possible. Mm-hmm. B you know it's only possible if you if you continue to push through and and exercise creativity. There's been physical moments in my career where I've made a decision because I recognized in my mind it's like this is what Sam Zell did in mm. this situation. He was in this situation. This is what he did. Mm. And if I didn't have that mentorship through through biographies, I don't know that I would have made those choices. Mm. And so it's really made a big difference for me. Hmm, that's really cool. That's yeah. awesome. I like that a lot. Yeah, the biographies I have, I've heard other people say biographies. So I was like, oh, I'll try a couple. And I've read a few and they've actually been very insightful. Which ones? Uh, Sam Wallens. Oh, yeah. cool. Made uh, in America. Elon Musk's. Yeah, Elon Musk. That's like everyone's read that one. So that was, that was very interesting to read his. Yeah. I've done a few. Um, my wife loves like Abraham Lincoln. He did one on like old, like these kind of older like presidents or like war generals and stuff. Those are okay. Yeah. Like they weren't a hundred percent applicable, but just cool to learn about someone's life, right. you know? And so, but I, those are sound cool, dude. Those oil tycoons and the head fun ones it's, are really cool. It's, it's I read one, read. uh, the more money than God. Yeah. I've read that you one. Read that? That's it's a not a biography, one. but it goes through stories yeah. of it's almost mini biographies. It's like mini biographies yeah. of the craziest trades essentially on wall street yeah. like ever. Right. Yeah. Um, Reminiscences of a stock operator is really cool. It's it's a great a, book. Have you read that book? Yeah. It's not a not a biography, but it's a story. But it kind of like walks you through us. You know, it's supposed to be based on a true story, but yep. that one's a fun. Jesse one. Livermore. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. No, that's a great one. There's, I just downloaded it again. I go on to re- reread it. Yeah, that, I, I, love, I love I love that book too. That one's a little bit more like step on the gas, lever up, take mm-hmm. risk. Yeah, yeah. There's a you know John. Pol- do you know who John Polson is? The, uh-uh. He's uh he's one of the hedge fund managers that shorted the 2008 crisis. Mm. Um. He's, he's a Forbes list guy, well-known hedge fund manager. He's got a book called The Greatest Trade Ever, hmm. and he goes through, it's basically the biography of him, but with a focal point of that trade in like 2006 and seven, cool. and him buying the credit default swaps that yeah. eventually just 20X'd, and you know, oh, he became cool. a billionaire overnight because he That's bought crazy. you know, 100, yeah. 200 million dollars worth of credit default swaps that became worth 30 billion or whatever wow, that's wild that's a wild <laughs> it's a it's it's a cool that's story that's pretty cool um okay let's do some quick hits here yeah um best way to find investors not like pitch them and close them but just get in the room with investors and high net worth money people i think best way is to find a deal hmm. i think if you put your efforts towards finding a good investment opportunity 
you'll have to work a lot less mm. hard on finding an investor. Hmm. I like that a lot. That's what we preach, dude. Preach that. Four-step formula. Step one is find an incredible deal. That's what we <laughs> preach people all the time. Everyone's like, I don't know about my deal. I don't know. I got to find it. I'm like, dude, find a deal. I couldn't agree more. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then, so find a great deal. It just changes how you approach everything. A lot easier, hey? So yeah. And, cool. and it's probably, if you're first starting out, find a small deal. Mm. Find a deal that needs 50 or 100 grand. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we did that with our foreclosures. It was like, we need 35,000 bucks for this. Yeah. And you do that with, you do 10 of those with 10 different people. Yeah. And they turn their 35 grand into 84 grand mm-hmm. in a two year span. They're going to be excited yep. when you call. Mm. And so th- you don't have to find a $5 million syndication. Mm. Um, find, find a $100,000 deal or a $50,000 deal and, and, uh, you know, put, put some investors money to work mm. and make sure you treat them really well. Mm, I like that. Just that's, that's the grassroots bones of that. I love that. Um, partners, what's your advice for somebody just getting started out? Should I partner with somebody? Should I not? How should I approach a partner? Like how should I negotiate that deal? How do I date a partner and make sure they're a good fit for me? What are your thoughts on partners? Partners are extremely important if your roles are precisely defined mm. and they are very destructive if they're not. Mm. If you, if you try to partner with someone just because you're buddies and you're like, Hey, let's go open up a, let's go open up like a, a swig store together or mm-hmm. a soda shop together yeah. because you're homies and you like, or you're right now you're account executives at the same company and you're like, yeah. let's go partner and be in business. It's not going to work. Mm-hmm. One of you is going to do way more work than the other. One of you is going to pick up the slack from the other. But if you say, Hey, I've got money, you've got time or vice versa. I've got time. You've got money. Uh, or if you say, Hey, I'm going to handle all the day to day nitty gritty stuff and you handle all the, all the higher level capital raising, you have to very clearly define Define the roles roles. or it will, or it will just not work. Mm. And so I, I have partners in a lot of things that I do because it's very clear what things we're bringing to the table. Mm -hmm. Um, general partners. I, I just think, I think you have to be really careful if you, if you don't, uh, clearly define what you're doing. Okay. I like it. Okay. Two questions left. Um, I always leave people on this last, the last question is, um, and is, uh, if you had just to leave this audience with one thing, you can, you can just riff for two minutes, open mic. You can talk about religion, you can talk about politics, you can talk about whatever you want. But before we get to that question, I want to ask how can people connect with you, relate with it? What's a great place to follow you, all that kind of stuff. So where do people follow you? And then we're going to get that last question in just a second. Um, follow me. You can text me. Okay. <laughs> Text me 801-921-0590. Live right there. There's right. the phone I mean, number. There, there it is. <laughs> That's I'm not, awesome. not going to say it twice, but yeah. I'll say it once. I don't have a big social media presence, Yeah. Um, but text me if you have a deal you want to work on or you want some advice or, uh, you know, you want to just shoot the breeze about business. Mm. You know, give me a text. Dude, that's awesome. We'll there it is. You got Jeff's phone number right here, bro. <laughs> Connect with this guy. That's awesome. <laughs> that's sweet. Okay, and then last question. Um, so I'm gonna give you open mic, like one or two minutes, whatever you want to do. We're shorter. Um, talk about whatever, whatever you think would be most valuable to leave with this audience. We got a lot of people starting a business, want to get in the fun world. People that are just all over the place. Whether it's we can talk about religion, politics, business, how to raise capital, whatever you think you just want to leave on the table. Um, I'm talking a little long here to give you a second to think. So I put you on the spot and I didn't ask you about this before. So 
with that, I'll give you, give you the mic, Justin. Yeah. I, I mean, I, there's, there's three words that come to mind right when you said that, and that's take the leap, hmm. right? A lot of people that may be listening right now are on the verge of, do I take the leap? Do I stay here? I'm getting, you know, making 200 grand a year at my job. Do I really want to leave, start this business, hmm. raise a fund, um, you know, go through investment fund secrets. Like just you have, if you look through the Forbes list, not one person on that Forbes 400 list was not a trigger puller. Hmm. They're all trigger pullers. That doesn't mean everything added up and that the lights were all green at the same time, but they just pulled the trigger. You hmm. jump, the net appears beneath you, right? Mm -hmm. Fortune favors the bold. You have, you have to take the leap. For me, you know, like I'm, I'm a living example of that, that that was very difficult, but I didn't, what I didn't do is I didn't like do part-time investment business mm. and par while part-time work. Yep. I understand not everyone's in that position where, you know, maybe they have four kids and they can't really do that. Find a way to do that because mm. if you're not going full time, it, it's the chance of success or are very slim. If you if you have a backup plan, you will use your your backup plan. Mm. The uh, the other yep. thing that like I would say as you take the leap is do do the things that make you happy and that bring you a lot of joy. Because at the end of the day, if you're watching this podcast or if you're trying to hang out with Bridger, you're probably going to be rich one day anyway. Like you just will. Like you'll be a rich guy. Like when you're in your 70s, you'll have all the money you need. But if I told you, I'll write you a check right now for 10 billion, but you have to wake up tomorrow and you're 80 years old, it's an immediate no. Mm -hmm. But if I told you, let's see, you're what, 29? 27. 27? Yeah. Okay, so if I t you about 50 years left till you're 80. If I told you, I'm going to write you a $20 million check, but you're going to wake up tomorrow and be a year older. Mm. Via, you might easily say yes. Yeah. Yeah. The reality is that's the same answer every single, it's just that you're making the answer 50 times mm. instead of yeah. once yep. when you zoom out, it's easier to see that that was a stupid decision. I sacrificed my life for money. Mm-hmm. But when you're doing it incrementally, it's it's harder to avoid that. Interesting. So yeah. it's very important yeah. to make sure you're just having a ton of fun yep. and that you're enjoying it. Mm -hmm. And that whatever you're doing is it has nothing to do with the money. It has mm -hmm. everything to do with the amount of joy you have. And then thirdly, treat your investors well. Hmm. Like put your investors first. You will get rich. You'll get rich later. Your investors need to make returns. And if you can spend a couple decades giving your investors positive results, it'll bode so much better for you mm -hmm. than it will if you make an extra fee right now. That doesn't mean if the deal's lopsided, you don't take carry or you don't take fees, or you don't do this. But if your investors aren't having a good experience in a deal you're doing, mm -hmm change your structure, change it. Because ultimately that's, that's really all that matters is that the people that you're doing business with are having fun with you mm, and, yeah. and they're, they're having a good experience. And that's when you look at the Warren Buffett 
like yeah, you know, I keep going back to Buffett. Mm-hmm. He's just a, he's a hero of mine. He's just never putting himself first. He's has he's plays the long game. He takes care of investors, and he makes very sound decisions along the way. And so I think I I think that those are probably the three main points that I would hit. Hmm. I love it. Oh, those are spot on. Spot on. I love it. Well, thank you for coming on today. Happy to be here. Shoot him a text. But blows phone. Text I'm just me. kidding. Be be respectful, Justin's time. But thank you, brother, for coming on. It's Great a pleasure to, to have you. Great Thanks for coming you. to coming in. Yeah. You're awesome. Let's do it again, man. Okay. Hey, hey, it's Bridger here. I have four free and simple ways I can further help you to scale your business or fund. Number one, I have a YouTube channel with actually, I don't, to toot my own horn, I think it's decent content on there. Go check it out. Bridger Pennington is a YouTube channel. We go very deep on funds. Number two, I have a one hour free training at investmentfundsecrets.com. We go very deep into how to actually start and scale your very own fund from ground zero. Number three, you can join our free private Facebook group of like-minded people like me and you that go out and launch and scale funds. I go live in there once a week. The name of the group is Investment Fund Secrets. And then number four, finally, I have a free PDF guide on how to actually launch and scale your fund. If you go to investmentfundsecrets.com slash guide, you can download that guide. Now, finally, people always ask me, Bridger, can you help me one-on-one? Can we work together? Yes, I don't want to talk about that in here. But if you want to learn more, message me, Bridger at investmentfundsecrets.com or just DM me on Instagram. Thank you guys. And I'll see you in the next episode.